catch a wave and you're sitting on top of the world. Don't be afraid to drive the greatest border around. Hello and welcome to episode 95 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. And today we're talking JR's pick, which is our second Peter Weir film, The Last Wave. Were you aware of this when you picked The Last Wave, JR? I wasn't, but I thought about it uh, last night when I was watching it. I was like, motherfucker. Me too. <laughs> I thought about it. We reviewed uh, Master and Commander on a much earlier episode, uh, which my mm. pick. Um, I don't, but, I don't uh, think I was a part of that. Were you not? Yeah, maybe not. I don't remember either. It might have just been me and Jonathan and Kevin. Mm. But uh, uh, I know we were definitely at my house when we did it. So Jr. He was probably part of it at that time, but maybe he had to bust. I don't out. know. There was yeah, because there was that time where we had like you know guest stars. So I don't know. Maybe Rustin was on that episode or something. Possibly. But um, yeah, we're all we're going to talk uh, what we watched as well, and we're going to do things in a different order this time because of uh, Jr.'s recent change in parenthood status. Mm-hmm. Jerry, you want to explain to the audience what's going on? Yes, uh, my wife had a, a baby, and uh, I knew this was happening. I knew there was a baby because because uh, I knew my wife was pregnant, and. Uh, that's why as soon as we finished recording last time, I fired up those Porky's movies. I was like, got to get to my homework in case, uh, in case the baby comes. But yeah, so uh, we're recording this on a Friday. My, uh, my wife went into labor last Friday. And uh, we had a baby early, early Saturday morning. And we stayed at the hospital for a while, and I didn't shower at all. And now I'm home, and I've showered, and I've watched uh, very little. Nice. And, uh, nice. you know, mm. it's like there's a chance that uh, that Sarah could call down from upstairs and be like, I need help. Sure. And I will say, I will say yes. Right. Yeah. So because of that, we're going to be uh, talking our – well, first of all, we're going to talk about your punishment film that you watched, Porky's. Yes. And apparently you, for some reason, watched Porky's 2 as well. well or was no, Porky's Por- 2 the Porky's actual movie? Two. But you watched yeah, Porky's yeah. also, right? Well, if I had not watched Porky's, <laughs> I'd have been very confused. Would you have really? I mean, it's <laughs> it's the next. It's well, we'll we'll get to it. Okay, uh, so we're uh, going to talk about that, and then we'll talk about our actual review, The Last Wave, and then we'll get to what we watched, just in case Jr. has to uh, jump out. Mm. So uh, yeah, let's uh, get right into it. How was Porky's two? Yeah. Well, first, uh, Porky's two is bad. It's uh, a <laughs> <laughs> it's you know it's a bad bad movie and um and Porky's one is also I think just a a really bad movie and I don't you know it, I'm not the right age of of people who would have seen this in the 80s and loved it you know if I was going through puberty maybe I would have liked this as well but it's I don't I don't get it there's there's like the shower scene in Porky's one and that's like that's it that's it. It's, I mean, like, that's it's weird. And I I had seen this a long time ago, and I had forgotten that the shower scene, of course, ends with uh, like a very weird moment of like a, a gym teacher grabbing uh, uh, this young man's penis. It's oh, really, I remember that. I saw really that on bizarre. TV once, I think. Yeah. And and really, these Porky's movies, just a lot of penises in general. 
more more penises than than boobs maybe at least in the second you actually one. see you see the penises yeah oh wow not mm, always pretty, you don't see every intense. penis right <laughs> is it is typical. it let me ask you this the shower scene in particular is it uh actually um i don't know how to say this is it exciting no at all no no like no. you'd prefer the beginning of Carrie, then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't. Yeah, it's not. I, I mean, and, and you know, a lot of the shower scene is also, you know, where the P, the Pee Wee character, the small character, I can't remember, I already forgot his name, and I did. Oh, it is Pee Wee. The uh, like the, the short the short kids character. He's like looking through one of the peepholes, and it's just like the backside, like the back of like this this bigger girl and so most Uh of the shower scene you're just seeing you know like skin um like like just like a blob of skin right like you can't see anything because your view is blocked uh much like peewees which is is fine uh except it's, it's dumb again it's just dumb the whole thing is dumb um I said I would have been confused if I didn't watch the first Porky's because, you know, Porky's the next day is supposed to be the next day. And uh, there's just a, a ton of references to what happened the first one. Um, things change really quickly, though, in this one day. For instance, the guys don't play basketball anymore. Now they're all uh, spending every afternoon in drama club putting on a play. Uh, I guess that basketball season ended real quickly. And, uh, yeah, there's, like, a more present plot in Porky's 2, uh, and it's trying to be a bit more serious, and there's, like, a, a racial element that, um, that some of the boys try to, to solve, you know, because, you know, we always want to have, like, a solve racism component in our, in our horny 80s movies, um, <laughs> It's, you know, it's, it's just, it's not good. It's, it's not good. I didn't laugh any times during either of these movies. I don't understand Get out them. of here. No, what? There's, they're not funny. They're, I would think there'd be something like that was mildly amusing. Hey, what, you know what mm. you can do? You can watch it and find it. No, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I won. See, I won. I don't watch yeah. them. <laughs> I, I obviously didn't win. Uh, I didn't lose alone, but... Whatever, you watched Kevin. him alone. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I apologize, no, Jr. Yeah. Like, I'm kidding. Yeah, I. I mean, I, I. I will say I got through like the first. I don't know five minutes of the first Porky's, and I was like, hmm, <laughs> fuck this. <laughs> no, if no, I just, I just couldn't do it. If I had waited until after my daughter was born, it, it would not have happened. This would not have happened at all. Um, I've only been able to make both, it through. You would have random. both been fired had that yes. been the case. <laughs> yeah. The integrity of the game would have been destroyed. Exactly. Um, and, and on that note, you know, I am I'm still committed to this game. I, When we did some test runs of this, uh, you know, it seemed like I'd be winning a lot more than I am right now. Yes. And, uh, and I, was, I was hoping we wouldn't only have crappy comedies. We'll see. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for the next one. I'm ready to, to either win this one or watch a better movie because it can't get a, a ton worse than what I've been watching. I'm actually mm. really sort of excited to lose one 
and have to watch <laughs> something random, you know. Yeah. Even if it is yeah. something that's, you know, supposed to be bad, just being forced to watch anything that I haven't seen would be exciting. If it's something yeah. I have seen, that would suck. But um <laughs> okay, well, that is uh that's great. Thank you for that review. You're welcome. And uh I feel you know, great about good- it. Good luck with the next version of uh, next game of Movie Roulette that we do after we talk. Your pick, JR, The Last Wave yeah. from 1977, directed by Peter Weir, starring, is it Sir Richard Chamberlain? Is he a sir or is it just Richard Chamberlain? <laughs> I don't know. He, well, I think he's American, isn't he? What? <laughs> I have no idea. I thought. He's I, got a very I, British accent in this film. <laughs> I know he is well, a, I, uh, he told Peter Weir that he has some Native American blood in him. Right. What? I Weir had no idea I, that. I Is that true? Yeah, it was on the uh, on the. I watched it on the Criterion Channel, and yeah. they had like you know Peter Weir talks about the last wave. He's an American actor. I cannot believe it. I was right. totally fooled. <laughs> I really was. I would have. I would have paid money. I would have sworn <laughs> he was because I watched a trailer for um. Actually, I didn't watch the trailer. I watched a Kill Count video on YouTube of uh, The Born Identity, which is a miniseries he did in the 80s. And mm. uh, he's American in that, obviously. And I was like, wow, he's hiding his accent really well. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe he fooled me with that accent. His accent's so, like, extreme in um, The Last Wave. You know, it's so, like, proper British. I just really, I don't know why. Yeah. I just totally bought it. Mm. I bought a hook, line, and sinker, and I feel like an asshole. <laughs> I mean... I, I think it's more a testament to how good an actor he is. I mean, the only other thing I've seen him in was uh, the miniseries Shogun, and yeah. like in that he plays he plays a Portuguese guy, I think. No, no, wait, wait. Well, that's like uh, no, he's, Andrew he's, Garfield and, and Adam Driver are supposed to be Portuguese in Silence, but they don't really. Get oh yeah, that, yeah, right. No, I'm sorry. He's he's English, but he was on like a Portuguese. Um, uh, ship when it gets wrecked in uh, off the coast of Japan and he gets um, gets captured and stuff. So he's so old too. He's eighty six right now. Mm. But uh, apparently he's also gay. I didn't realize he was gay. Not that that I think I not that, that matters, saw something just, about that. But yeah, so I mean, strange. Like, I, I I didn't know he was American. Didn't know he was gay. Didn't know he was almost dead. Yeah, it's like it's like you know I like. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll give whatever support I can to Elliot Page, but it's like, when are you going to act again? I mean, you were really good in Juno. She's uh, been in some movies. You were, pr- you were pretty sorry, good. You he's were been pretty in some good in. I've just fucked it up already. He's been in some uh, stuff recently. No. Well, I don't know. There was a period yeah. where they were like on fire for a while, like you know, like uh, like especially like a lot of like like thrillers and like sort of horror movies like hard candy and american well that was something like like a long fucking time ago but i mean 15 i know it's like yeah but now it's like we let's see like like we never hear from he's got three movies coming out next no year after next he's in umbrella academy also yeah right yeah uh, pages a lot of like netflix stuff that okay i think he he's also typically like like a producer on these small projects so Right, I think it, it and carved I, out carved out his own little, you know, brand of, of consistent work and success. Even if, mm. even if he's not doing big big projects, I also I missed right. the transition. How how did we get to to Elliot Page? 
I have no idea. Oh, Richard Chamberlain oh, yeah. is gay. Richard Chamberlain is gay, right. That's Not so that there's all, anything all wrong with that. gay people and trans people are <laughs> okay. in a boat together. Uh, so the last wave, uh, just to get back on track, uh, <laughs> our second Peter Weir film after Master and Commander, which was episode 31, by the way, I just looked it up, and uh, there's no mention of a guest host. So I'm assuming either JR wasn't on the episode, wasn't on the show yet, or it was just a normal, like, Jonathan, mm. Kevin, me episode. But we, okay. but we talked uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock on that episode also, which is weird. Hmm. I feel like I would have waited for JR to talk about that one. But I don't know. Yeah. He gave me that Blu-ray after yeah. all. Yeah, but uh, The Last Wave, yeah, I really appreciate it. I was thinking <laughs> about how good it was when I was watching The Last Wave. Take that for what it's worth. Oh, you don't know where I'm going with this one, bud. <laughs> I don't. I'm just kidding. Okay, so uh, tell us about your reasoning and your history with oh, The yeah, Last I mean, Wave, JR. You know, I, I saw Pitting at Hanging Rock, you know, probably late high school and loved it. Became one of my favorite movies. Uh, you know, so over the next few years, I watched several Peter Weir movies. And The Last Wave is one that I remember loving. But uh, when I was kind of looking through my uh, deep dive options, I just kind of realized, like, I don't remember, like, a single damn thing about The Last Wave at all. Like, I, I've got these very strong, positive feelings about it. And I have no fucking idea why. Um and I was like, I bet it's because it's really atmospheric mm. uh, and haunting because <laughs> of uh, Peter Weir and, in the 70s. But uh, I think I was mostly right. I think that's what I kind of glommed onto after rewatching it. So, yeah, you know, I wanted to I wanted to rewatch this. I love Peter Weir. I love um, this sort of uh, it's almost like a, like a subgenre of just like Australian kind of um, psychological weirdo shit uh from the mid 70s like with uh peter weir and nicholas roeg and some others before uh sort of that the popular indie australian stuff becomes like the oz exploitation after um mad max mad max yeah yeah like into the 80s um i love these these stories that incorporate the the mysticism of um the aboriginal peoples of australia I, I don't, and I don't know why. Um, I just do. They fascinate me. It's a place I, think I, know I, about. Uh, I think I can enlighten you on why you might enjoy that. The mysticism of Aboriginal people. It's probably because it's fucking awesome. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, that was like one of my. Uh, I, I didn't know what this movie was. Like, I had always heard about it and I'd always been interested in it and I had seen it on advertised on criterion channel i know they put out a dvd of it uh, a long time ago and uh so i'd always i'd always been interested in it, especially after i watched picnic at hanging rock i was you know continue to be interested in it. of course you know would never actually watch it <laughs> until i was forced to by this show but um i think the description is like really uh like the synopsis is like crazy the ones i've seen anyways are like way off you know because it, it depicts it as some kind of court drama or something and uh like there's some kind of injustice that needs to be solved and it's almost like portrayed as some kind of white savior narrative but that's not at all what this film is like it's Mm -hmm. you know and uh and i i just had no idea like i was totally taken aback like in the first you know that first scene of the uh the hailstorm and everything i mean i was just like what what is this Mm. what am i looking at here and it's uh I'll tell you it had me and I'm in I'm all in. There 
yeah, and this, you know, the backdrop of this this movie is that it, you know, it's set in Sydney, Australia, with this weird wave of weather, uh, and that that first that hill scene, it's like you hear thunder, and then a storm appears out of nowhere, and there's no clouds, and it just stays super bright, and there's something like immediately weird and haunting about this storm and the way it appears that way, and then almost every scene of the movie. Uh, after that, once we're like actually in the city, um, you're either seeing rain or you are hearing the storm, like thunder, rain on roofs from inside. Uh, it is it is very strange, especially since I, I consider uh, when I think of Australia, I definitely think of desert and you know no rain. For sure, um, it's a barren wasteland. Mm. Yeah, and this yeah. So you you mentioned like the. The courtroom thing it's like a chamberlain richard chamberlain is a lawyer uh tasked with defending this uh, group of aboriginal men in the city who have been accused of murdering another aboriginal man and um there are questions about whether uh these men could be and this murder could be tied to uh something tribal but as uh, every white person in the movie will remind us there are no tribal aborigines in the city um and uh we learn pretty quickly that probably isn't the case um and yeah yeah, i mean richard chamberlain is also being haunted by these like dreams uh, of water there's a lot of dream stuff in general um the i guess the most prominent aboriginal uh character is played by david uh gopal gopal gopalil I'm having a lot of troubles with the L's in that one. Uh, but and he's he's been in a ton of stuff. Um, like mm. even like from, from Walkabout in the 70s to uh, like he was in Australia in the Proposition, you know, in the mid 2000s. So a oh, dude, yeah, okay. dude who's been around a long time. Mm. Um, and he is sort of guiding through, guiding Chamberlain, like, through what is happening, sort of. It's like this is a very secretive, um, you know, culture, and it's not like they can just invite Chamberlain in. Um, but his connection, like, to the dream stuff, uh, I think makes him someone they can sort of talk to. And yeah, in the courtroom stuff, the crime at the center of this, not terribly important, I don't think. In, in, in like, agree. the narrative sense. Um, and that's, that's all I got. I don't know if you guys can tell, I didn't write any notes or a synopsis because I, uh, I watched this last night and I was really tired <laughs> and I wasn't sure as I was watching and I was like, am I going to even remember this tomorrow? I don't know. But all I know right now is that I'm still loving it. Uh, this, yeah. this movie works for me on just like a, on a mood level. Um, every Everything it is throwing out with mysticism, with the mood, with like the blue colors in an Australian movie when I associate um, basically oranges and reds and yellows with this whole uh, country. It just, it all worked. Um, and I think there's, there's some really cool things like it's almost like Weir knows the crime doesn't really matter. He, he barely like explains it. He does show us something happened. He doesn't care about the mystery. Um, and he, he lets us pull uh, these threads together, and um, yeah, it's just a uh, someone. Someone else talk. I, I love it. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, you know, I've 
I, I also enjoyed it a lot. Uh, mm. And uh, for a lot of the same reasons, probably. But I mean, I, I when I was when it started, I mean, the first 10 minutes, I was just like, you're immediately reminded of how sort of weird and um, ominous Peter Weir can be uh, mm. in his filmmaking. And it's just so strange to think about, like, you look at his filmography and it's just like this bizarre change uh, where he's gone from making kind of esoteric, strange, you know, psychological films like this and Picnic at Hanging Rock to going on and to, to making, you know, like Witness, I guess, would, would might have been like the big the big change for him where he starts making like uh, blockbusters, essentially. Well, and Witness, mm. you know, I see a lot of the Australian movies in Witness, but I do feel like Witness is a, a pivot point. Like that is, that's a pretty quiet, atmospheric Hollywood movie. Mm. Uh, that I also love, but but yeah, after that it's like it gets weird in the sense that uh, it's more mainstream. Yeah, I mean, like um, the I, I, there's all I mean, there's like there's 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 weirdness in in a lot of his like there's weirdness in the Truman Show, there's weirdness mm. in uh, well, I mean mainly the Truman Show when I think about it that way, but because there's not really any kind of that that element doesn't exist in Master and Commander that much as far as i can mm. as far as i can remember you know but that's also why i, I like master commander less than these films but that's just <laughs> me kevin what'd you think i liked it very very much like i i and really it's more like thinking about it after having watched it like when i watched it, i was like oh i enjoyed that that was really interesting but then i start to think about it more and more and it's like hmm yeah hmm yeah, it's it's like as you think about it more, it grows on you and you appreciate it more. Uh, at least I do. Um, yeah, because like I really appreciated the fact that like you know, um, like yeah, it's very much you know in a movie that could very easily have like you know the typical white savior slash magical negro kind of thing going on yeah it's really very not that it's very much like even though like uh even though richard chamberlain's character is not part of like any like aboriginal tribe it's like you know because he because he's an australian he's you know it's like you know like they're not that much different really like we're all kind of like it, they're all kind of in this together it's not like because um, like at first i thought it was like oh it's some maybe he has like aboriginal blood going way back and that's why he's kind of in the position that he's in to be able to have these dreams and such right but then it's like no it's it's just this continual evolving thing that nobody has any control over and yeah, like he's not he's not there to save anyone. I mean, I guess in a way, I guess he probably say you know spoiler alert he probably saved his wife and his children. But you know, like when he finally makes it out of that maze of the sewers and stuff, and he sees the wave coming in. Um, yeah, I guess I read it. I guess you know, I, he, I might have I might have like read it a little bit different than that. I guess I saw it more as. Uh, mm. I mean, he's in. The, okay, so just, I mean, not to just jump right to the end, but he's in the catacombs with uh, Billy, and he, Billy mm. tells him to go into the next room or whatever, right? And then he goes into the next yeah. room, 
and uh, Billy vanishes, which is fucking amazing. Just like that, that scene mm. is incredible to me. <laughs> just the way it's shot and everything. <laughs> and uh, he goes in the next room. He, he encounters Charlie. He kills Charlie because Charlie's trying to stop him from taking the artifacts or whatever, right? And the yes. the mask that mm-hmm. I mean, there's the mask a, there's that looks a mask like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and he's trying to take. I'm assuming he's trying to take those things to stop the wave from coming. Like he thinks that if he removes those objects, that he can prevent the apocalypse. Is that not what you guys got from it? I think yeah. so, but yeah, I'm okay. not 100 percent. And then sure. he loses the artifacts on the way out because the apocalypse has to happen. And then, of course, the the little last wave, right? <laughs> so I mm-hmm. I thought that I, I I loved all that. I mean, I I feel like his the whole. I mean, I guess the only thing that would be confusing to me is the like why he's like he's they keep calling him Mukru or Mugru or whatever. Uh, and like I'm not 100 percent sure like what that has to do with anything. Like why he would need to have any of these sort of mystical uh pipeline powers you know where he can see into the dream world or or any of that stuff except for the fact that he's the star of the film you know like it doesn't seem like it really Mm. makes any kind of a difference it's just that it's it's like a way to get him to stumble onto this event that's going to happen not that Mm. they spend a tremendous amount of time on the event either like the idea of it coming and like him wanting to stop it that's all pretty obscured in the film but uh I mean, I really feel like it's more of a, it's just such a, like, there's just so much great fucking imagery in the movie. Like, it's just mm. amazingly cryptic and weird. And I love the, when he's uh, in the car, like, near the end, and it's rain, pouring down rain, and then all of a sudden he looks down at his radio, and there's just water gushing out of his radio. And then he looks outside, right. and everybody's underwater. Like, that was amazing. That, like, really really got me that was good stuff so yeah all the water stuff i mean i don't know yeah and i and i think that all the uh i think the acting is fairly strong in it with the exception maybe of uh his wife it has this uh she has like an hysterical scene that's kind of embarrassing but (laughs) you know all his (laughs) acting is pretty solid and i i for some reason Mm. i thought of him as kind of like a i mean i don't know what what the consensus is on richard chamberlain but i always thought of him as kind of a uh not a good actor not that I've seen him in much, but like I just feel like people think he's mm. not a good actor. I don't. I do not have. I do not have a history with this man at all. Right. I. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's him. it's probably because like he was, you know. So we got Shogun. He's a TV guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a TV guy. Right. Um. And I mean, you know, like in the eighties, like I think people forget many series were like the hip happening thing. Sure. Um. They've so. Come back. He's in the yeah. Thornbirds. I mean, that's a big one too. The Thornbirds. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's huge. Thornbirds, uh, Shogun, like I Born said, Born Identity. And, yeah, yeah, and probably more that we don't know. Oh about. yeah, I mean, Blackbeard. Some miniseries called Blackbeard. I mean, he's been in a lot of shit. Mm. But uh, he's he's right. he's obviously and he was in apparently he's in the um, is he in the Three Musketeers, the uh, Richard Lester film? Apparently, mm. I believe it's the Richard Lester film. It is nineteen seventy-three. I don't yeah. remember who he is in that. He's Aramis, in oh. it. Um, <laughs> one of the Three Musketeers, but uh, and he's in the Four Musketeers also. So it stands mm. to reason. But I remember the only the only the only history I have with Richard Chamberlain is that my dad was obsessed with um, Man in the Iron Mask, 
and Count of mm. Monte Cristo, which are TV movies he did in the 70s, and he owned them on VHS, and we used to watch them all the time when we were kids. <laughs> and uh, I don't remember anything about them, because, you know, as soon as the Hollywood versions came out, that was the gospel to me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Stop watching the TV <laughs> garbage. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think he's really good in this, especially since, you know, I can't, I can't deny his accent totally fooled me, so... You know, I thought he did a great job, and I like his whole kind of... He's very reserved in the film. I like that he doesn't get animated ever, really, demonstrative at all. Like He's just kind of, like, in shock the entire film. Mm. There are some moments, though, that are, I guess... <clears throat> I wouldn't say they're confusing, but they're just, like... Okay, like, there's the scene when... The only court scene in the film, right, where he's wearing the wig and everything, he's questioning the guy... And and he says uh, he says is it possible that uh, the man died from a witch doctor putting a spell on him? And he's like, no, because there are no because the deceased was not a tribal man. It's like that's why that's why that's impossible. Mm. Isn't it just impossible? Yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's not denying the existence of witchcraft. Or, I know it's you know, so bizarre. It's like that's insane. Like, I know. Well, do these people just accept that the that the Aboriginal uh, mysticism is a real thing and that it can actually do people harm? I don't know, but I mean, I didn't. But again, I didn't. I like that sort of. I think it's really mm. it's so strange. It just kind of lends itself to the overall sort of texture and atmosphere of the film. So I didn't yeah. mind it. I love the time lapse on the buildings, the sunlight hitting the windows. It's like a 30 second scene, but oh my God, dude, it's like so good. I wouldn't, th- you know, you don't think of mm. stupid little shit like that, but it's just like such a good idea. The black rain reminded me of, um, mm. uh, take shelter. The, uh, what's his face movie. Who's the guy who directed take shelter? Uh, Nichols, Jeff Nichols. Yeah. Jeff Nichols. Yeah. And, uh, and there were shades of that in there. And there's also I, also, I also was reminded of uh, Polanski when I was watching the film a lot. Although, you know, definitely not as sinister as Polanski can get. But, like, there's that same kind of general tone throughout the film of uh, impending doom. And the person mm. at the center of it who's powerless against it. Which Polanski's going to figure into some of my some of my watches also. And... uh not in a good way. <laughs> oh. Uh, the Okay, so the, the the main thing, I will say that I, I mean, the imagery is, it's like the imagery is great, right? It's beautiful. It's amazing. But the thing that really puts it over the top for me, the reason that this is going to be a very high-scoring film for me, that score is unreal how good that score is. It's like the best mm. synth score I've heard mm. Out, like this early, I mean, I don't think there's a better synth score. Mm. It's so good. I also think the yeah, you're right. The mixing of the synth with kind of like the the oh the didgeridoo, didgeridoo and all that. Stuff. Oh my god, so yeah, amazing! Yeah. Just the sound design in general is incredible, and it reminds me a lot of Picnic at Hanging Rock too, because he uses a lot of that kind of uh, like just sound, like random sounds will just happen out of nowhere, you know, and they're just kind of like in the mix, like you don't know where they're coming from necessarily. It just it works so well. What happened to Peter Weir? <laughs> Why is he directing The Way Back? <laughs> I love The Way Back, but I, I'm sure I it's good. I need 
No, he, I he honestly, became, I honestly, he became yeah. like one of the most competent directors right. in Hollywood. He I just, know. Good for him. You know. He's got a movie coming out, actually. Really? Um, That's cool. Yeah. Well, I thought I... Well, God, now it's not there. I swear to God, it was there yesterday. Mm. It's crazy how, how infrequently he's worked. I mean, even since since the night, it's like the early 90s. He barely put stuff out. Yeah, I mean, mm. it's been 10 years since he made him. I haven't seen a lot of his shit either. I mean, I've seen, I haven't seen Witness, honestly, and I, I, I really want to now. I haven't seen his Mel Gibson films. I haven't seen Fearless. I haven't seen the those are all Those are all really good. I mean, I, I don't, I think the only one of his that I actively dislike that I've seen is Dead Poet Society. See, I like mm. Dead Poet Society. It's cheesy, cheesy. I did, Save your I teacher movie. <laughs> I fucking hate that. Did not care for the Mosquito Coast. I yeah. I have I don't I won't say I like the Mosquito Coast. I think it's interesting. Have you seen the uh yeah. the green card, his rom com? I have not seen that one. Oof. I don't know when I'll get to that one. It looks brutal. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It's not not terribly interested. I'm gonna mm. have to I'm yeah. gonna have to do a do a hard dive into his filmography soon. Because uh, mm. I, I, the way back is on like every streaming service, so <laughs> there's no reason not to watch that. <laughs> well, other other comments about this film? Are we done talking about this already? There's no fucking way. I mean, let's I get mean... let's get some more <laughs> descent. More descent. Who hates this movie? Nobody. Everybody loves it. We're all of the same mind. <laughs> yeah, I was here. gonna say like. Oh, I, yeah, I remember I mean, at the beginning when they're the hailstorm on the school. So two things. One, the teacher, yeah, like, what t-shirt time, okay? <laughs> and uh, I thought she wasn't wearing a bra at first, but apparently she is because I saw it on her back. Number two, sorry, it can't be not mentioned. Uh, number two, what, I, I was I was a little confused because the, the hail, when she looks out the window, the hail is, like, coming down, you know, and it's obviously not falling past the border of the school. Because obviously, you know, they don't have a budget to make like the hail fall for a, a mile and a half. But I was one. I was for a minute. I was like, "Oh, that is that like a budgetary thing, or is, is that like actually what they're going for? Like it's only hailing on this school." And then they mm. said in the on the news when Richard Chamberlain is driving around, he's listening to the news. It says hail struck this one small town, and I was like, "Oh, that is what they were going for." But I don't think it's what they were going for at all. <laughs> I, I think it was a that was a nice convenient fix. For uh, yeah, mm. their budgetary restriction. I mean, I, sure. I, I, again, that you know, it only hailing on the school adds to that kind of just you know eerie sense of, of what was happening. Yeah. But yeah, mm. I do think that was budgetary. It reminded me of uh, Tombstone. There's a scene in Tombstone after uh, Morgan dies, and. Uh, Wyatt Earp walks out into the street and his hands are covered in blood and his girlfriend tries to approach him and like comfort him and he's like get away from me can't you see which means makes like no sense at all but <laughs> it's this very emotional scene <laughs> and you can see it's like pouring down rain and you can see like 20 feet behind him and there's just no rain it's just you can tell there are rain machines just <laughs> pouring right on top of him it's a little embarrassing for such a big movie mm-hmm. for, for uh, the last wave I'll forgive it you know yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder wonder what percentage of their budget was spent on water. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of water in this movie. 
A lot of water in the buy movie. some water trucks. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that too. Whenever the second time the um that it was flooding from upstairs, I was like, that's gotta cost a fortune to like re carpet <laughs> this fucking hallway every time you do that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I guess they just they budget that in, you know? The line producer's like, That's no problem, we got that. Yeah. They filmed, they filmed that part last. Yeah, there you go. And they just yeah. left the house. They were like, No, we don't know how that happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I mean, I loved it. Ratings. Yeah. Do yeah, it. I, uh, I gave it. I gave it a four and a half again. I wanna. I wanna watch it again already, uh, with more awareness and more sleep. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Kevin, I'm giving it a four, but I'm sure it would go up on a rewatch. I. Uh, I honestly was almost to a five at some points, but uh, it, yeah, mm. it didn't quite make it. It's a four and a half, but it's great. It's really great, and uh, I'm gonna highly recommend it to several people I know. So, all right, well let's uh, let's do a little <laughs> a little game here. You guys ready? Yeah, I love I'm games. Gonna get my, I'm gonna, gonna get my dice app. Yeah, yeah, are you? <laughs> Let me get my dice app out here. Okay, so we've got the last wave. I've got the page open. Richard Chamberlain is first uh, build. So, so let's uh, let's replace uh, Nanjiwara uh, with Peter Weir, since Nanjiwara is number six, and he has no other credits. That's fair. Good idea. Mm. Okay, here we go. So I'm just going to show you guys what I'm doing here. Six. Oh, my God. <laughs> Y'all are fucked. I know. I know we are. Okay, so it's Peter Weir, which we can assume that Mm. JR has won. But, um, I mean, you know, we set the rule in advance. Well, no, I was going to say we can go to seven, but that person only has one credit, too. No, 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 no. This Mm. is fine. I'm fine with Peter Weir. Yeah. Um, I have, I'll I'll go, I'll tell you how many I've seen first. I've seen six. I'm at 30%. I have seen nine, so forty-five percent. Fuck you! You seen more than me. <laughs> I have seen. I mean, I've I've seen Witness. I've seen Fearless. Uh, oh wow! Gallipoli. Uh, my Witness yeah, to these, my, these uh, massive my movies right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I've seen Look. the Truman Show. Look. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen the Truman Show. <laughs> Shut up. All right. Oh, sorry. I I've seen thirteen at sixty-five percent. <sighs> ah, damn! That's hardcore. All right. Well. JR wins. So let's. I'm going to go to uh, generate a number now between 1 and what? 8691. 8691. I've got the uh, I've got that okay. list up so you can tell me what number sure to generate. Thing. All right. Here he's generating 5589. 5589. So the 5589th film of the movie roulette list. This is terrifying now. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, I know I said I wanted to, to lose, but uh, I really didn't want to lose at all. Hold on. Uh, pause real quick. Okay. I'm just going to look at the time so I can edit this out. Don't actually stop your recording. Cool. What did I say? Five, five, eight, nine? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, five, five, eight, nine. I'm going to look it up my 
<laughs> Can't depend on him. Mm. Oh my god. Oh no. Oh what? Oh, Is it the last no. wave? <laughs> I'll let him tell us. Oh god. It's surrounded by great stuff too. God. No. How depressing. This is the worst one so far. Worse than Porky's 2? Yeah, I'd rather watch Porky's 2 on repeat for an entire day. John, tell me it's not just some like Steven Spielberg movie that you're... No, <laughs> you're, you're not going to be excited about. about this either, my friend. Damn. Oh, this is so bummery. Literally, if it was three numbers behind, like one number ahead, I mean, oh my god... I wish I hadn't looked. I should tell him, oh, the number was wrong. I was wrong. It's actually this other number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's actually... Uh, yeah, see, see, this is why we stopped doing shit like this, because it was just ridiculous. <laughs> hey, you know what? It is what it is. I lost. Yeah, you're right. I'm going to watch it. No problem. Yeah. Like, Spirit of the Beehive is right next to it. Like, I'd watch that shit in a heartbeat. Okay. Satan Tango is within 10 spaces of it. Oh yeah, and that's on uh, Criterion Channel now. So, yeah, I think it was also on Canopy. It is on Canopy, also. Yeah, mm. I, oh, I pre-ordered yeah. the Blu-ray, so it's coming in January. <laughs> oh okay, I'm gonna wait till it comes <laughs> to watch it. <clears throat> ah, but uh, oh. is it on Criterion or the Blu-ray? No, no, no. It's uh, um, I don't know who put it out. I can't even remember. I just saw somebody posted that mm. it was for pre-order, and I jumped on it because i think it's limited oh okay so and it was kind of expensive mm. it was like 35 dollars but you know it's like a seven hour movie so i figure oh okay you know, it's fair <laughs> yeah <laughs> have you never heard you haven't heard of satan tango i know the name i know bellatar did it oh yeah okay. i've seen it like you know on like canopy or wherever and like right, uh, right. that reminds me of Bellatar did like a TV movie version of Macbeth. Yeah, I've seen it. That I think is only like uh it's like 50, what like 50 minutes or something. Yeah, I, and I think it's like all It's one shot. All one shot. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's good. Yeah. You should check it out. I think I might have it downloaded still. I'll send it to you if I do. Cool. Let me, in fact, but I yeah, I I, check right now. I started watching it on YouTube, but like uh for some reason I didn't finish it, but like I mean, it's a Macbeth. I gotta watch it. Like, it's yeah. I mean, I I remember it being really solid actually, and uh, mm. it's been a while since I watched it, but I watched yeah. it around the same time I watched Polanski's Macbeth for the first time, and then I watched Orwell's not Orwell Orwell Orson Welles' <laughs> uh, Macbeth, and then I watched it, mm. and I watched uh, the Ethan Hawke one, and that's Ethan Hawke's where I stopped. Ethan oh, Hawke did a Macbeth. Oh, not Macbeth. I was sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was Hamlet. Never mind. Okay, but yeah. no, he didn't do it. Yeah, I'm stupid. <laughs> I watched. I, I watched I uh, his. I rewatched his Hamlet after I read mm. the play last summer. That's what. Oh, it was. okay. Right. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but lately I've been wanting to like become like an expert slash like scholar of like a certain subject. Yeah. And, like, I haven't been able to figure out what right, I'm, I'm legitimately interested enough to do it in. Sorry, guys. My, That's okay. I'm not... It's my fucking dog. Oh. My dog oh. is just up there being a piece of shit. Uh, 
Mm. Like he did two things and he threw up. So I'm. He's probably not. You, oh, he's, you think it's because of the baby? Like he's not used to the to another person being in the house. Honestly, he's been fine the past five days. So this is uh, this is really all right. Hard. Well, uh, the, I hate the movie. I've, it's five. It's five five eight nine. I've looked it up myself. But uh, I'll let you tell us what it is if you want. It's on. It's on page fifty six. Uh, yeah, it's not good. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so many movies on this list, you know. And we keep getting the shitty ones. So, Jr., what's our what's our punishment here? Five five eight one load eight nine eight nine. Pictures are loading. I wish I wish it was five five eight one. <laughs> I really do. Yeah the uh, the third part of the night is is actually good. Um, I've seen it. It's great. <laughs> zombies. Oh no. Zombies. Jesus Christ. Zombies. <laughs> when a strange virus quickly spreads through a safari park and turns all the zoo animals undead, those left in the park must stop the creature. Before they escape and zombify the whole city. From 2016, so you know it's not even fun. Yeah. It's not even going to be fun. <laughs> but it is on Prime. That's great. Wonderful. Easily accessible. This is such a bummer. Mm. Directed by Glenn Miller, the famous director of The Coed and The Zombie Stoner. Wow. I think this is great. And I think this is great. I would rather you watch do this. you no no. I would rather watch Porky's on repeat. I, you know what? <laughs> I think that you should also watch Porky's and decide. You know, get some good, uh, get some good data for that. Can I watch Porky's instead of this? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I was just telling I was telling uh, Kevin I was like, look at the movies that are around it. Like I would watch almost any of these, like Enigma of Caspar Hauser, Spirit of the Beehive, Devil's Backbone, even Knights of Badassdom. Like I would much rather watch that. I remember that and being a funny at least. Demolition Man. I mean, oh hell yeah! Ugh, Wait, zombies? I don't know. That's. Yeah. That's getting break. dangerously into Jordan's territory, and we're already like, you know, oh, yeah. chomping on his heels. This is just gross, though. Absolutely gross. All right, well, uh, so Jr. stepped away, but let's we can just jump into what we watched if you want. Yeah, sure thing. Let's do that. You want to start? Sure. I think this is like the literal one time in all ninety-five episodes that I've watched more than you guys. You watch but, more you than know, me. Maybe? I watched, let's see. I'm not going to talk about everything, but I watched one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven. I watched seven. How many did you watch? 18. Fuck off. 18 features? How many of those are like yes. 10 minute shorts? You're juicing. <laughs> None. Oh, that's because that None, COVID. You got that COVID. You got nothing to do I but know. watch movies. <laughs> exactly. Like. All right. Well, uh, lay it on me. What's the first one? Okay, uh, let's see. So I rewatched uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Nice. Which I had been meaning to rewatch for you know a long time because I remember loving it, loving it when I first saw it in the theater. Yeah, me too. And uh, I, I think it still holds up. 
it's very well done and like I mean uh and I finally, finally saw like I've now seen all of Edgar Wright's movies, so that's why I, yeah, did I saw the, your uh, list. Rank list. Yeah, uh, the other one, Fistful of Fingers, like uh, it's like a parody of like spaghetti westerns, but I thought it was really well done for what it was, and it was very, very funny. Like it's very, like it's very indicative of what, of like the level of like detail that he can go into, and like. Like, when he does, like, you know, like, when he does, like, uh, Shaun of the Dead, like, there's so much going on from, you know, a million different uh, inspirations and sources. Right. And it's kind of the same thing with Fistful of Fingers, only a much more goofy and much more much more cheap look to it. Uh, but, yeah, like, um, but, yeah, Scott Pilgrim is really good. And, uh, I mean, for me, personally, I don't think the... I'm not a big fan of the music that's in it, but uh, like all the Zelda stuff is really is really funny, and the story itself I think is really good. Uh, Michael Sarah is really good. Like pretty much everybody in it is really good, um, except for Brie Larson. But I'm just I just don't like Brie. Is Larson. she in it? I didn't even know that. Yeah, his she's like sister, one right? of. Uh, no, it's uh, his ex, uh, Scott's ex. One of the yeah. seven evil exes or whatever? No. Or no, it's Scott's no. ex. It's Scott's yeah. ex. I see. One of Scott's exes, yeah. Him versus uh, her exes. Yeah, exactly. Um, wow. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's like I, I'm really, really looking forward to, uh, what's it called? Night in Soho or whatever his new movie is going to be. I'm just hoping, I'm hoping beyond hope that it's better than... Baby Driver, because Baby Driver was really bad. I think that uh, the thing that scares like, me about him is that mm. Baby Driver was such a huge hit for him that he's going to be doing, want to, he's going to want to do mm. things like that. You know, he's going to want to sort of uh, repeat himself maybe a little bit. Which I sincerely so hope not. Yeah, yeah, it's the worst. Yeah, yeah. I your list is, uh, you know, I I wouldn't argue with it too much. I I like your picks. It's been so long since I've seen Hot Fuzz that I mm. don't. I remember not liking it, but I feel like I would because everybody seems to fucking love it. So I feel like I would like it if I rewatched it and gave it a shot. But um, for me, Shaun of the Dead is tops for Edgar Wright. Mm. But uh, I just had such a great experience. We saw it blind. We didn't know what it was. We went to the theater and we we're like, what the fuck is this movie? And we just saw it. Right. And it was unbelievably funny. <laughs> like it was yeah. just an annihilator, you know, just really crushing your soul with laughter. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's really pleased. So, yeah. And I think like for me, it's a big thing of like, I didn't see Shaun of the Dead right when it came out. I saw it a little bit later. But I saw that in time to be able to see Hot Fuzz in the theater and then to see World's End. Uh, and so, like, being able to see them, like, sequentially like that, like, for me, that's one of the big reasons why I love World's End as much as I do. Because, like, I can see, like, the evolution of these actors, these storytellers, these directors. Yeah. And I can appreciate it that much more because of that. Absolutely. Well, uh... I'll, I'll go next. I uh, I watched Grandma's Boy. Oh no! Which I know Jr. is a huge fan of. And uh, <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, Grandma's Boy is from 2006, and it's directed by some Joker, Nikolaus Goosen, 
Nicholas Goosen. I don't know how you say his name, but it's sort of like a, it's an Allen covert vehicle. <laughs> this, uh, one of Adam Sandler's, uh, I don't mm. know what you'd call him, like his Aaron boy that he has on all of his movies. Uh, he's like, you know, the the guy who's in all of the Adam Sandler movies whose name you don't know. Yeah. And uh one of those guys. Right. One of, and yeah. I was uh I was told by my good friend and uh sometimes guest host of this podcast, Rustin, that this movie was very funny. Uh and we watched it and it was not. Uh <laughs> but you know, I didn't hate it like JR really hates this movie. Like he takes personal offense to it, I guess. Like truly, it, you know, it truly killed is. his mother or something. <laughs> but uh I I didn't mind certain aspects of it. The main thing I liked about it was Nick Swardson. Pretty much everything Nick Swardson does in the movie is funny. And I'm not usually a huge fan of his, uh, but he, I, I found him very just, you know, aggressively funny in this movie. And I found Alan Covert to be horribly unfunny and uh kevin nealon's unfunny and pretty much everything else about the movie all the stuff with him living with his grandmother who could care uh a lot of uh what they would call rapping granny humor in this movie a lot of like you mm. know my grandmother's old and she's proper but now she's gonna get stoned and play a video game and that's funny and it's just like that's not funny at all um I've, yeah so you know everyone I know that smokes weeds and has and has seen this movie likes it and maybe it's maybe it's my fault you know maybe I'm not consuming enough but I just think I it's a very when... like it's very like uh I don't know how to describe the humor like it's not it's like frat guy humor mixed with stoner humor and it's like the mm. worst of both of those and like this guy the fellow who is the villain of the film Mm. is doing this ridiculous he's created this ridiculous character that he's playing where he's like this he's a they work at a video game company and the villain is like this guy who is legendary for creating these amazing games at the video game company but he's got like a huge ego mm. but the way that he acts is it's like so over the top but not like not not landing at all it's just not funny it's horrible yeah, like the one thing I remember from that movie is like uh, the main character comes up with this like super like brilliant, will make a million dollars idea. Yeah. The guy steals it and goes, wait, that's my idea. And it's like, oh, wow, there's a plot. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, wow. when, he, when, when that happened right before he stole the game, I paused it and I looked at Rustin and I said, look, man, obviously he's about to steal this game and take credit for it, right? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. Yeah. But is this the only copy of the game? Is this disc? Like, there's no proof that he's like he's not making the game on the Xbox. He's making it on his computer. Doesn't he have like files and shit? He's like, yeah, I don't know. And it's like that's it's like yeah. a, the worst plot line I've ever heard. Like, it's the stupidest yeah. shit ever. I know, and it's so obvious, and it's so like, hey, you stole my idea, pout. Yeah, it's dumb. Like, <laughs> it's, and it's like you guys are like. Probably in your like late thirties, early forties at this point. Oh, and I dude, get that's supposed Alan, to be Alan part of the Covert, humor, but Alan, like Alan Covert's like forty five in this movie, but he's supposed to be thirty five. Oh. I looked it up; he's old as fuck. Wow. <clears throat> anyway, it's got a little cameo from David Spade, which is mm. you know, like I like to see David Spade and stuff, but he's not very funny in it either. 
He's funnier mm-hmm. on his Instagram. Right. Making fun of The Bachelor. Um, yeah, so this movie is not good. And I think I probably gave it about a one-star bump for, uh, you know, I watched it with my friend who likes it. Who likes it. So I gave it two and a half. It's probably more like a one and a half. Mm. But it's not like, it's not super offensive or anything. Like JR is offended by this movie, you know. He's a teetotaler. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. JR? Yeah, so I, I didn't watch a ton. I think the only um, only real movie I watched was On the Record, which was a uh, HBO Max original uh, film. One second. And uh, that is the latest documentary from uh, Kirby Dick with, uh, I think her name was Amy... Zierling? Zierling or something? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And it is a documentary about the allegations against sexual misconduct allegations against um, the Def Jam founder uh, and producer, like rap super producer Russell Simmons. And it explores those allegations almost from, exclusively from the uh, perspective of one of those accusers, Drew Dixon. We kind of hear uh, her story and her journey through like this industry, and it's good. It's good, and the story itself is powerful. And I don't think it needed to be a documentary. It, you know, any in the documentary, it's like she is being profiled by the New York Times, ready. So like, there's already a story on Drew Dixon out there. I don't know that we needed a, a second film story on this because it is a talking head documentary. It's not doing anything formally exciting, but it is it is worth watching to hear about uh, what Russell Simmons did. And that's you know I don't I don't have anything I don't I don't want to say anything bad about it because nothing is bad. There's nothing bad about it at all. It's just not uh, exciting. Formally, there's nothing bad about what Russell Simmons no, did about the movie. How dare about you. the movie, <laughs> shit, shit. Just, <laughs> movie. just kidding. Edit, edit. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. No, that was a that was just, a good catch. Good catch. You walked right into it. So. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. That's all I have to say, to say about that. <laughs> all right, Kevin. <laughs> uh, do you guys want to go ahead and talk about Mank? Sure. Oh shit. Okay. I forgot I watched my Mank. I watched Mank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. I was the first one to watch it. So yeah, yes, you were. <laughs> you own Mank. First, first person on the train bandwagon. Well, Kevin, what do you think? Uh, I thought it was actually pretty good. Uh, it actually set me down a path of uh, Fincher films. As I guess I can talk about them more later. But uh, I mean, I thought like. I don't know, this kind of format of, you know, you know, jumping back and forth with the flashbacks, I think is kind of, you know, eh, it's fine, you know, we've we've seen it. Uh I think the acting was all pretty good. Uh the, you know, atmosphere, settings, whatever you want to call it, pretty good. Uh I thought Tom Burke was Tom Burke is a underrated gem, I think. Like who is Tom Burke? 
Uh, he he was the brother in uh, Only God Forgives. The, uh, oh, oh, yeah. As, as, uh, yeah, he was. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, he yeah, is, he's good he was, in this uh, for sure. Yeah, and he was uh, he was uh, Susan's brother in Seinfeld. Um, <laughs> oh no, shit. <laughs> yeah, like the uh, one who's like you and you and John Cheever or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Dad, oh. you and John Cheever. Oh my god, yeah. that's him. Exactly. He's the guy yeah. who wants to fuck a fourteen-year-old and uh. Only that's God right. Forgives. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I thought he was great as Orson Welles. <laughs> he's a, he's really he's really good in it. Yeah, I remember oh, yeah. I looked him up to see who who was playing uh, Orson Welles, and I was like, oh, it's the guy from Only God Forgives. I was like, that guy, I'm glad that guy's getting work. Like, I thought that was going to be the end of his career. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but yeah, um, I I've been meaning to look into like the soundtracks because. Uh, I know uh, Reznor and Ross did the soundtrack for this one as well because they've done it for all of Fincher's movies since uh, 2010 with the dragon tattoo. But, uh, I mean, there's a lot of, there's, you know, it's mostly jazz. So I'd be interested to know how much of that is, like, stock jazz versus what they came up with. Right. I I felt the same way when I was watching. I was like, "This, this score is very, like sort of forgettable i mean just because just by the nature of the fact mm. that it just sounds like music of the era like it doesn't sound like an atticus ross trent reznor score which is fine mm. I, I i thought it worked for the film i just yeah it's kind of like why would you hire these guys and pay them probably millions of dollars to you know recreate big 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 band jazz music i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean but yeah um yeah i I mean, I gave it a four just because, you know, I thought it was really good, really well done. Uh, But this is something I'll get to a little bit later when I'm talking about the rest of the Fincher movies that I watched. I feel like there's there's so much technical and, like, I don't know. It's like Fincher, like, his movies for me just don't get to, like, the real, like, heart, if that makes any sense. Sure. Like they don't they don't they don't make me go like oh man this is so fucking good it's like yeah it's technically well done it's well acted it's well you know everything's very well done but for me there's just nothing that's pushing it over into like a maze territory i think that's a common one of the critiques i've, I've read a lot of about mank is in particular but fincher in general is that he sort of like has this kind of like emotionless, you know, there's not a lot of emotion to the to the films like they're kind of sterile or um mm. you know, just like uh like like what you're saying sort of passionless, I guess, because because by by virtue of the fact that they are so technically proficient, I suppose, that he's such a tactician that he's kind of forgotten to in insert emotion into any of the films, but I mean, I don't 100% agree with that that criticism personally. Mm. Um, even in Mank, I mean, I think there's plenty of, uh, emotional stuff in Mank. Mm. It's not like it made me cry or anything, but I mean, God, you know, I'm curious to see what JR thought. Cause he obviously is not as, uh, is not as warm on it as we are. I mean, I, th- I think my, my thoughts come, they circle back kind of to what Kevin's saying. I, I don't know if I think. You know, all of David Fincher's movies are are soulless or emotionless or whatever. But um, I don't think this movie puts enough into any of the relationships for 
like the payoffs to work. Like I, you know, this this relationship, with this platonic affair between him and uh, Marion Davies, um, is this big important thing. But there, it's like the scenes between them in the movie are good, but they never feel very important. I never feel like a great relationship is being developed. Uh, I love the the walk and talk thing through the zoo. It's awesome. Um, but I, I don't think it established enough of what I think Fincher wanted it to. Um, and that, you know, like it's almost like a joke in the movie. Like he calls his wife, poor Sarah, uh, as like a, a way to acknowledge that she is the long suffering wife to this man, but she loves him without actually giving that a relationship, any space to, to develop it. We just get their kind of thing at the end where, where she acknowledges she accepts who he is and blah, blah, blah. Um, it's a movie where like when I think of it, I'm like, man, it's really great scene, really great scene, but, uh, it doesn't add up to a whole that I love. I also, you know, as, um, you know, as the resident, uh, you know, classic movie guy, it's like, you know, all the, the pastiche, the visual stuff, it's like, whatever, you're just, you're not going (laughs) to impress me with it. Uh, your movie isn't actually going to look very old and I don't need your cigar burns. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think you would admit, like, black and white, fine. Uh, but aping this style is something that I don't know that you can do very well with, uh, you know, your digital film. And it's, uh, I don't, you know, and all of the elements that kind of, like, mirrored Citizen Kane, um, even to the point where, like, that parable ends up kind of being, like, his his rosebud thing, where, or, like, the movie treats it like a rosebud thing, where it's not going to tell us what this parable is until the very end I was you know I was like mm. all right I'm I'm seeing your structure a little too much for this to to fully work for me but I, I didn't dislike it and um, and this is another one like I'll I would happily watch this again I'm sure I will watch it again and uh, and maybe some of like my knee-jerk like criticisms will will kind of fade once I I know exactly what I'm getting into and uh, I don't know. It's like I kept waiting for these relationships and the political stuff to kind of like make sense together. And I never really felt like they did. And maybe that will come together better for me next time. Yeah, Hmm. I guess I don't. I, I completely agree with everything you're saying as far as like the relationships, not like his relationship with his wife is obviously not very important in the film. Mm. Um, they don't spend a lot of time with that at all, but I feel like it's just a like it's uh, as a character study. I think it works wonderfully. Like I think you fully understand who Mank is as a person by the end of the film, and uh, all of his myriad flaws. And uh, that's and and the scenes that you're talking about, where you're saying you know you think about it and you just think of all the great scenes. Like that's that's what does it for me, man. The fucking dialogue in this movie is exciting. Like it's just so good. It's and I, it's so rare that you get a film where you have a character that's so richly written uh, or the dialogue is so richly written, you know, and uh, there's so many just great kind of like zingers, but it doesn't feel put on at all. It doesn't feel written to me. Like it feels like this is a genuine person who's just an incredibly witty, intelligent individual and just a biting uh, with a biting wit, you know? And uh, 
all the shit with him versus the uh, studio head Louis Mayer, and I, I like that. That stuff is amazing to me, and uh, I thought that uh, Arliss Howard was incredible in it, and the actor who plays um, Hurst, whose name is escaping me, Dance but, uh, Charles Dan- Dance. Yeah, Charles Dance. He's terrific. Also, I love how he is completely reserved throughout the film, and he like. Uh, similar to Richard Chamberlain's masterful performance in The Last Wave. He never gets uh, demonstrative. He never gets angry and, you know, screaming or anything like that, even though Mank is <laughs> creating, like, the, the most epic scene in the history of scenes, <laughs> uh, you know, throwing up everywhere and insulting everybody and telling Louis Mayer to his face that he has no principles. <laughs> it's just, it's, uh, it's, I just thought it was all brilliantly orchestrated and really well done and it it just uh i don't know it got me it hit me and i agree with the the, if i was to criticize one thing more than anything it would be the cigarette burns it drives me insane that the cigarette burns are there i don't understand Mm. why you would have that there it doesn't even make sense to me from the point of view of the aesthetics of the time because it's like wouldn't that that would be on a print that Mm. you would see at a theater so, like, why on earth, like, if you watch Citizen Kane on, on DVD, even, you're not going to see cigarette burns. Like, it just makes no sense to me why you would put that in there. It feels like a grindhouse kind of thing, like that Tarantino and Rodriguez mm. would have done yeah. 10 years ago. And it's ugly. And uh, But I think the film otherwise is quite beautifully shot. And um, mm. I don't love the audio either, like the way that they kind of are trying to mimic the audio of the time, the kind of mono uh, sound. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but it's mm. it sounds like an old timey radio to me. The entire movie, but it's not that big of a deal. It's just stuff that like I don't understand why you would like why you need that stuff to be in there. It's unnecessary. Well, it's it's like a it's almost like a a level of authenticity or attempt at authenticity that just doesn't even make mm-hmm. sense. Like this is not mm. a historically accurate story, and right. nor should it be. So why yeah. why are you going for the historically accurate like visual ticks or sound t- like right. things like that? that? That doesn't make sense to me, but whatever. Yeah, because like when they were doing the flashbacks and having like the typewriter, it was like no thanks. Didn't need. I don't. I mean, I didn't mind that. I like the idea that like uh, that they incorporate what I imagine are like Jack Fincher's actual slugs from his script. Like I, I think that's kind of a cool idea. I don't know that it really matters. Uh, you know, that uh, like, it doesn't have anything, like it's not like a comment on anything necessarily, but I, mm. I, I like the idea that they're just using the script because it's about a screenwriter, I guess. I, yeah. I, with that, I was just kind of like, I don't, you know, feel, feel free to like throw me around in time. I'll be fine. For sure. I right. Really right, need yeah. you to yeah, I've always exactly. felt that way. Of course. I think that's the, I mean, that's the way, I've always felt that way. Like I don't need, I don't need time periods. Uh, but, but you know, I think it's an interesting way to go about it if that's what they're going to do. Mm. And, uh, you know, but I, you know, I don't know. It just, it, it worked. It made me want to rewatch Citizen Kane really bad, which I did immediately after. Mm. And, uh, I read, uh, I read, I read Kevin's review where he watched it last. His review was, uh, I get it now. I think I get it now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin. Well, I don't. I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I understand. I completely appreciate it on a technical level. I understand why it's a game changer. I really do. But this movie is just so boring. Like, there's just... The story is completely uncompelling, man. What is compelling about this narrative at all? Like, what did he... What were his last... It's just such a goofy 
kind of MacGuffin. Like, right? We're going to send reporters out to find out what his last words mean. It's like, what? What? <laughs> like, who would think that that was something anybody would care about? I could understand if it was something like, we're, we need to find out what his last words were. But they already know what the word is. You just they know it's Rosebud. You don't understand so journalism. <laughs> you don't understand classic journalism. Yeah. You classic especially journalism. don't understand yellow journalism. <laughs> I just, I don't know. And the, a lot of the stuff that, like, uh, you know, it's, I, I guess you're supposed to, like, the, you know, it's about Hearst sort of. And it's uh, sort of a takedown of Hearst, but it's not really that much of a takedown. It's more about this character, uh, I suppose, be like initially being some sort of an idealist, but then immediately cor- being corrupted. Mm. But I like I feel like the corruption is not really explained very well, like why he changes from one mode to the next. And maybe I'm just missing. Like, I feel like an idiot talking about this movie and not liking it because I know just like everybody's just like losing their shit because they love this fucking thing. But I, I just, I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I understand all the symbolism and the mirror shit at the end, and you know him, the, especially after watching Mank, the 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 purging scene of violence, you know. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It just didn't. It just doesn't work for me at all. I don't. I mean, not at all. Not not at all. It's like it's fine. I can watch it. I don't hate mm. it. It's just not. It's net like this would never. It. I'll tell you one thing though. I'm not going to talk about The Stranger, but I, I, I watched The Stranger uh, day before, a few days ago. And uh, so I guess this is like, is this Orson Welles' next film after Citizen Kane, or did he make something in between this and The Stranger? I'll Google that. Okay. The Stranger is like a pale comparison by any stretch of the imagination to Citizen Kane in terms of filmmaking. Like the narrative is much more compelling, in, in my opinion. But the filmmaking is like ridiculously plain and uninteresting when you're coming off Citizen Kane with its wild camera movements and well, he, use of shadow and things like this. He also There's like nothing like that. Direct the stranger. He like shadow he directed the stranger. Oh well, I don't know that. You got to tell me this shit. <laughs> uh, and it, well, it, it wasn't that's... right after Citizen He's... Kane. What do you mean he shadow directed it? Maybe I just made that up. He's, but he, he's he credited didn't. as directing it. was five it. years later. The Magnificent Ambersons was his next movie. Okay, I didn't understand. I understand. Mm. You're saying he didn't actually direct The Stranger? No, maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong about that. Because he's credited as directing I thought, it. I mean, what mm. movie am I thinking of that he shadow directed? He did this. This is a thing that happened. Well, I believe you. I think I read about that, actually. But this yeah. is not it. Sorry. Well, Sorry. I think, I think that was that was the thing about like or like after like Citizen Kane apparently is like the one movie that he had like 100 percent top to bottom control over and ev- and literally everything after that he had like so he had so little control over that, you know, like, you know, touch of evil or whatever, like people were just like doing things on his movies without his knowledge, starting with like Ambersons and going forward. Like, um, so yeah, it's, it's super hard to base. Like we, we don't know how good of a director Orson Welles was except for citizen Kane, because there's no real example of like what his directing could have been if it was just him. Whereas like, you know, uh, you look at like other people, like I don't know, like Howard Hawks or uh, Michael Curtiz, or it, you know, people of his era, where it's like they're not, like they're not having to deal with that level of uh, 
people butting their heads in. I understand that he's. I understand there are recuts, and he, you know, he was under the control of of the studios. It's for for a large portion, and that that's to blame for maybe some of mm. the the weaker work, right? But there's no like <laughs> the stranger. Okay, Touch of Evil. I haven't seen Touch of Evil, but the, I've seen that first scene, and there is nothing in in the Stranger that comes close to being as original or interesting as the first scene in Touch of Evil. And it's like it seems like it was directed by a totally different human being. Like it doesn't feel at all like anything that Orson Welles would ever even put his name on. I mean, I, it's just so str- the, the the very first few. There's a scene at the beginning that uses uh, shadow quite a bit, which is great. And I was like, this is great. This is going to be like. You know, this is going to be my Citizen Kane. I'll love this fucking movie. And then it just kind of becomes this very run-of-the-mill, ordinary uh, mystery film. It's not really a mystery, even. It's more like a thriller. But um, mm. and I like the way it ends. And I mean, I like I like Orson Welles' performance in it, even though it's he's a little goofy in it. But you know, I like how sinister he is and everything. And uh, there are things I liked about it, but it's just it's just I was so taken aback at how ordinary it was. Mm. compared to Citizen Kane again. Mm. But, you know, that's just me. I mean, I don't know. Like, it it could have, for all I know, it could have been his attempt at being like, okay, I'll make something so middle of the road that they, right, won't, they right. won't fuck with me on it. That's what I was going to say. They'll so finally it's like, get it's off like my back. Two years later, he makes Macbeth. It's like Macbeth is mm. completely, you know, like uh, bizarre and original compared to The Stranger, mm. you know. So yeah. I was just like, I don't understand how, you know, he he falls this far <laughs> and then immediately comes back. Not saying that, you know, he's fallen, but whatever. For whatever reason, the stranger does not work. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh that's that's Mank and Citizen Kane. Oh yeah, well, that was your that was your 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 pick, right? <laughs> Kevin? <laughs> yeah. Uh all right. Well uh I'll briefly I'll talk about um proof of life. Which I rewatched for the first time since the theater, like Russell Crowe. So, yeah, okay. this is uh, directed by Taylor Hackford. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought I was going to go on a Hackford deep dive actually after I watched this because I liked it. I didn't love it, but I mean, it was like mm. fun and uh, good action in it at the end. And uh, what's his face? David Morse is really good in this gives a great performance it's about Mm. he's like he and meg ryan are married and they live in south america and he's an engineer and he gets kidnapped by rebels and they're holding him for ransom and then uh, russell crowe and david caruso are like a pair of negotiators who have to come in and help get him back and uh david caruso's you know just horrible as usual but uh (laughs) (laughs) but i really like david morse in the film uh as the kidnapped kidnapped victim he was He's had a lot of really great scenes, and uh, it seemed like he went through a lot making the film, whereas Meg Ryan and Russell Crowe are, like, you know, the best-looking people on the planet when they made this, and they're living it up, the high life, while her husband is in the jungles, in the mountains. But it's a solid solid little uh, actioner, forgotten, absolutely forgotten. Like, ask people about this movie. Nobody's seen this movie. I know the uh, <laughs> like the Ringer, the Bill Simmons Network. They did a uh, rewatchables on it, so yeah. at least uh, two people there love it. But oh, well, I've, I've certainly go. never seen it. Mm. I don't love it, but I I definitely it's definitely worth watching. I mean, it's fun. You know, it led me immediately to watch 
The Devil's Advocate, which I'd never seen, which is also by Taylor Hackford. And uh, <laughs> Hackford, this is where he lost me. I had to hack it off right here because uh, mm. this movie's a piece of shit. And uh, I don't understand what people's problem is. People like this movie. I don't get it. I mean, they don't love it or anything like that. The ratings I'm seeing are like threes and threes and a halfs. But like, I, mm. I can't go that deep into it. It's bad. It's really bad. It wants to be Rosemary's Baby so bad. And it just doesn't come anywhere close. It's embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how much of that it's, is, you know, it's so bad it's good or whatever. I don't know, man. It's it's rough. I'll tell you what, though. Keanu Reeves, you know, Keanu Reeves, not thought of as a great actor traditionally. And I don't agree. I think he's a good actor. I think he's mm. got to pick. He's got to pick his spots, right? And this is yeah. not his. This is not his spot at all. He's playing like a Florida attorney with a country accent. But yeah. I will say this for him: he's really trying hard in this movie. Like mm. he's got an emotional scene where he has to cry, and I've never seen him cry before. It's pretty extreme. And I could see how people would watch it and say that's pretty laughable, like him trying to emote that much. But I really appreciated that. I was like, you know what? I respect that, that he tries. And uh, he's way more sort of uh, loud and uh, mm. than he's ever been, I feel like, in any movie. Like, he's like, there's a lot of screaming in this movie and waving his arms around and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's pretty, pretty, pretty solid. I mean, his performance is not good exactly, but it's certainly, mm. you know. Uh, admirable and Charlize Theron is one of her first films and she's mm. of course you know naked 90% of the time because that's what her function was as an early career actress Jeffrey Jones is in this the child oh, yeah. monster or whatever child pornography peddler mm. he gets beaten to death by homeless people this movie's a piece of shit don't, don't see this movie don't waste mm. your time you know Pacino just yeah. obviously you know obviously he wants to play the devil who's going to say no to that but, you know, that's another big, huge problem with the movie is that, I mean, obviously you know that he's the devil going in. You would have to, right? It's the devil's advocate, and he's standing over Keanu Reeves and on the poster. Mm. But, like, I would have appreciated just a little bit more if, like, they had had a reveal of that in the movie at some sort. You don't have to reveal it, like, as a big thing. Right. But it just could have been, like, more of, like, a like they're just really, from the jump, assuming, look, you know that Pacino is the devil <laughs> in this. Because he's reading people's minds and boiling holy water with his finger and all kinds of wacky shit, you know, and you're just supposed to accept it. I don't know. It's just Mm. a weird choice to structure it that way. But I don't know. Craig T. Nelson's in it too. It's really strange to say the F word and stuff. I don't know. It's a weird movie. (laughs) It's not good. Don't watch it. Anyways, that's, uh, Mm. that's that. JR. Sure. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll talk more about Keanu. I watched uh, the romantic comedy he was in a few years ago, a few summers ago, called uh, Destination Wedding. Mm. Uh, Did Kevin watch this? Yep. Is it? Yeah. I enjoyed it. Sweet. But yeah, it was, you know, he and Winona Ryder are uh, just prickly, bitter, awful people, and they have like an anti-meat cute and ended up kind of stuck together at this wedding. And, uh, you know, it's just a movie where every scene we just have two people talking and no one else really exists you know they have no interest in actually being a part of the wedding festivities even though they keep showing up to the events of the wedding festivities it's uh i don't know it's is weird it is at, at points like darker than i was ready for i thought i was turning on uh something kind of 
bright, bubbly, and stupid. Um, and you know, it not that it's like a smart movie or anything, but it's uh, it's definitely not bright and bubbly. And um, you know, I think Keanu especially pulls off this this character who is like just very eloquent and very smart um, and just super bitter about the way his life has gone. He pulls it off uh, quite well. And that's, that's really it. There's not, the, you know, the, the movie mm. is, is short. There's not a ton going on. Uh, it's a romantic comedy. They end up together. Spoiler. And, uh, <laughs> and then it's over and there's some, uh, you know, Woody Allen style credits, even though it does not feel like a Woody Allen movie. Wow. Mm. Well, wow. mm. that's uh must miss Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> so I rewatched the, uh, uh, first three Jurassic park movies. Uh, cause God. you know, I've been, been meaning to for a long time. Uh, so I still really like the first one. Uh, I think it's still very, very well done. Uh, Richard Attenborough is, I mean, he's just great as this character. He just, it's like he just knew how to be that character, and he does it very, very well. Uh, And, yeah, so first one, four and a half. Lost World takes a pretty big dive. Um, I really like Pete Postlethwaite. Uh, It's funny, like, I I think the first thing I ever saw Postlethwaite in was probably James and the Giant Peach. But then the next thing I saw him in was this, Lost World. Um, and I, I'm still... I, I, I don't know what it is about her. I'm just still not sold on Julianne Moore. She's not horrible in this, but I didn't think she was great either. But also, nobody is really great in this. Um, so yeah, like... And then you get to the third one, and it's it's not aggressively bad, I wouldn't say, but it's still really bad, and it's just there. It's just pointless. There's so many things that like don't need to happen. They're just you know, it's just dumb. But I thought it was entertaining enough, I guess. So, um, I thought about rewatching Jurassic World, but then I was like, nah, I don't need that in my life. Saw it once in the theater. Don't need it again. Uh, so yeah. Hmm. Um. So I the last thing I watched was Payback, and uh, I rewatched Payback, which is directed by Brian he- Hegel Hegelman Hegel Hegeland Helgeland mm. Brian Helgeland, written and directed, uh, starring Mel Gibson. You know I'm a Melhead, unlike Jr. who hates him. Uh. And, uh, <laughs> but, but I'll tell you, I, I'll tell you this one, uh, this is, uh, not one of his better ones. It does it's not literally his work. Best movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just doesn't work. Um, it's got this kind of like neo-noir thing going on. It wants to anyway. And it just, it doesn't use Mel Gibson in the way that he's meant to be used. Like Mel Gibson's a charming, funny guy in the nineties anyway, before you know what kind of human he is. And uh, this movie, he's not charming or funny ever. He's just kind of grim and unflinching and angry. And uh, it's not very much fun to watch. And mm. 
there's all these comedic elements surrounding him. Uh, like there's these various actors, uh, David Pamer, for instance, is one of the comic effect guys. And, uh, it's just kind of embarrassing. Uh, it doesn't work at all. I do, I do like Greg Henry in it as the villain. Greg Henry is also the villain in, uh, or he's in rather, I shouldn't say he's villain. He's in uh, body double, the Brian De Palma film, but I really like him in this as the bad guy, the guy who betrays Mel Gibson's character Porter at the beginning and uh, is dispatched with extreme prejudice in one of the better scenes. Bill Duke is in this. William Devane is in this. Lucy Liu, Chris Christopherson. I mean, it's James Coburn. This this fucker is stacked. It just yeah. doesn't add up. It's not terrific. Mm. Um, it's a fun, dumb little movie, but it's just not one that I'm going to rewatch constantly like i used to when i was a teenager i wore this fucking vhs out i watched this shit so much but it just uh doesn't have the same sheen as it did at the time for me mm. can't do it won't do it <laughs> won't do it don't ask me I'm, i won't i won't ask you okay. mm. that's it for me though i guess i'll end with uh with elf another another movie i don't have much to say about besides mm. uh it was one of the few things that interested uh sarah like on the hospital tv (laughs) and (laughs) uh so we watched it and i'd never seen that before and i feel like everyone in my life tells me i have to like elf and um elf is elf is fine elf Mm. is cute it's like uh you know it's doing like the silly will ferrell character in like a very family friendly holiday movie and there's there is a place for that good for them yeah, that's fair. Thoughts, uh, thoughts on Elf? Mm. Thoughts it's been on a long Elf, time uh, since, I've, since I've seen Elf, and I don't uh, like Will nep- Ferrell, and I don't like Zoe Deschanel. So, but you do like know. John Favreau, and you do Not like James really. Caan. No, right? you like mm, I do. I love James Caan. You like mm, that John Favreau no. is the architect of both the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Mandalorian. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. And he's uh, he's Disney's bitch now. No, he's he's uh, he's like. He's sort of like Tim Burton in a way, in that he used to have somewhat of a voice in cinema, and then he just got whitewashed like by with, Disney. With Elf and Zathura? No, no, no. Before <laughs> that, like with... Um, swingers? You know, Swingers and Maid, like the shit that he wrote back then. I, I don't know. He, was, uh, he, was, he was like an up-and-comer, sort of, and then he just mm. kind of sold out immediately. I have been Disney. watching... Um, I started the second season of The Mandalorian. Mm, Three yeah. episodes in. It's still fine. It's very easy to just watch and have on. Um, yeah. But that's, yeah, I've been watching more TV. Oh, shit. I did want to talk about this. Um, last week we talked about how none of us would probably ever watch Shit's Creek. Uh, and that oh, changed oh. yesterday when, uh, uh. when Sarah and I watched the first season. It was a rewatch for Sarah. I don't, so far, uh, I'm like, I don't get it, but, uh, we'll see. I, I, again, I've been told Uh, this is the worst season, the first season so far. It's just like sitcom, just basic sitcom shit. And, uh, Sarah's like, does this remind you of Kirby enthusiasm at all? I was like, in the sense that it directly rips off the Kirby enthusiasm, like theme music. Yes. Uh, (laughs) otherwise it just has like sitcom stuff. Oh, like brutal. Like, 
Kirby Enthusiasm does. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Ne- maybe next time I'll, I'll be able to tell you guys that the, the second and third seasons, or just all six since we're watching one per day, um, mm. are much better. One season per day? We, we watched the whole first season yesterday. Jesus Christ, Well, we, we finished it this morning. But, I mean, we're... Ah. I mean, like, Renee would not eat. Like, we were up from midnight to 2.30 with a baby just, like, refusing to to do what we needed the baby to do. So we threw on Shit's Creek, you know? Mm. You got to. You got to. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's unfortunate. Mm. It's not, Kevin, it's, what it's you fine. got? You got anything else? Yeah, I... Uh, I won't go through everything that I watched, but I'll go through a couple of things that, uh, uh, so speaking of the Mandalorian, I figured since it had been a year since I've seen it, I rewatched rise of Skywalker. I still really like it. And I will say that it's, uh, JR. I just got really upset. Oh, wow. Why? Cause <laughs> got really I, upset. When, when, can't hear you. No. When you talk about how this movie is good, it offends me. Go. <laughs> oh, it's a wow. good movie. No. It's a solid. It's as good as any of the rest. It's just like it's just like Indiana Jones. Everybody wants to dump all over the fourth Indiana Jones movie. It's just as good as any of the rest of them. They're all bad. They're, all guys, these movies are bad. You guys these swore that we are fucking. You sw- Star Wars is garbage. You swore Indiana that we Jones wouldn't do this garbage. again. Spielberg is garbage. Let's just. <laughs> You're the one who had to shake your head, Jr. <laughs> Anyway. You're the one who had to rewatch Rise of Skywalker, though. <laughs> all I, all, I was, I had like two sentences to say about it. <laughs> I still really enjoy it. I think it's some of Harrison's Ford, Harrison Ford's best acting, legitimately. Anyway, uh, so I also rewatched uh, Shame, uh, Steve McQueen's movie starring Michael Fassbender about uh, a man with a sex addiction. I found it to be I found it really cold and really distant and I feel like it's you know I feel like if you're going to go so far to have a movie with an NC-17 rating like maybe you have a little more to say about your subject matter but it really like it doesn't delve into any of the problems that either Fassbender or uh, Carrie Mulligan, who plays his sister, like she obviously has some deep-rooted problems that we never find anything out about. Uh, they never get resolved. Um, yeah, so I just I just found it like super, just not interesting, and uh, and like any any of the the you know sex scenes, not very sexy, honestly. I don't think uh, they're supposed to be, though. To be fair, I mean, no, they're not. But it, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's like, it's like there's, there's nothing. I, I felt like there was nothing warranting, you know, like how how deep it was going into this stuff. It was just like, uh, yeah, it's. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I didn't want like a a full like exploration of people and their problems. But this is just like, hey, here's people with problems. The end. What I would like it's is like, uh, shame the Porky's cut. <laughs> you, know? you could you could just edit an hour that together. Of Michael Fassbender just eating ass. 
Is that what you want? <laughs> eating ass. You could edit it together like they're looking through the peephole on Porky's and they're seeing him eat ass. Yeah. On the other side. <laughs> it, sounds, I mean, it sounds right up my alley. It's been a while. Okay. So I, I don't oh, remember definitely. him him doing that in the film, but I'm I'm sure that he, he does. Get, <laughs> I mean, I don't know that he's necessarily eating ass, but like his face is way up in this woman's butt crack. Hey, nothing wrong uh, with that. Uh, <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, are you guys so Are that, you guys interested in, at all in the? Um, just speaking of uh, yes, this guy McQueen. You gonna watch uh, all the small acts films? On, I started. On Prime? I started Mangrove late, late one night, and decided that was the wrong way to start Mangrove. Uh, mm-hmm. But I will. That's the the first one, the first small acts movie. I I will definitely right. watch all of them. I, I yeah, want. They're see all them. available now. I'm gonna, right. I'm gonna watch them as well. I'm, I'm excited to watch them uh, mm. because I I was not a fan of uh, widows, women or widows. Yeah, what yeah. It's called. Sorry, me neither. <laughs> I don't remember. It's a piece of shit. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I didn't like it. Uh, me neither. It's not a piece of shit. I just didn't like it. Yeah. So I moved on to something a little more entertaining. One night, I'm sitting in my room and my brother texts me, "Hey man, there's this there's this movie." With uh, Song Kang Ho playing a wrestler, a pro wrestler. And I was like, sign me the fuck up. So it's on Prime. It's on the Criterion uh, channel. It's called The Foul King. And it's about this mild-mannered bank teller who's really not very good at his job. And one day, he, his boss puts him in a headlock. And he's like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? And then he's walking home feeling sad, and he sees this gym that teaches pro wrestling. And next thing you know, he's he becomes a pro wrestler. And What's this called a, again? The Foul King. Yeah, I remember seeing that you watched this and thinking it sounded kind of interesting, actually. I really, really enjoyed it. Like, uh, I mean, it's... I, w- I wouldn't say it's uh, perfect. Like, I think some of this... Some of the scenes kind of go on a little too long, and like there's not enough. Like there's some other characters at the bank who like have like some pretty like legitimately emotional scenes, but like uh, like it's it's not explored enough, and like their their stories aren't told in a satisfying way for me. But uh, Song Kang Ho's uh, you know his story, I, I think is. I think it's great because, you know, he gets like the self-confidence and, you know, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely rec- recommend watching it. Um, let's see. Okay. And then, so, the uh, Zappa documentary that Alex Winter did is finally, like, uh, I rented it because I was like, you know, I've been waiting for kind of like four years to see this movie. Is it not on Hulu? Is it on Hulu? I rented it on Prime. It might be on Hulu by now. I don't know. I thought it was. Um, but yeah, uh, I I think it's I think it was good as a Zappa fan. I really appreciated seeing all of like the like super old footage of like um, like. Uh, all the random stuff that Zappa recorded during his lifetime, like pretty much his entire life was on tape and it's all, you know, kept by the Zappa family trust. Um, but it really, there was nothing new about Zappa as a person or the, um, the kind of 
struggles that he went through in his life um for me so uh so that that was why it was only a four um but i i'm i'm still a i'm still a fan of frank zappa the the only thing with him is like like from the interviews like even like early early on when he was really young like i get that he had like some really like um bad experiences with uh people uh just not like actively trying to stop him from doing things that he was interested in but it was like he got he got he gets so bitter and so cynical and like i i understand not wanting to compromise from an artistic perspective but it's like when you know when when do you draw the line of not compromising when it's like actively stopping you from doing any of the things that you want to do uh i i guess everybody has their you know different levels of how they can address that in their own lives okay and finally uh rewatched all of uh the fincher's most recent movies uh social network gone girl and dragon tattoo So, Andrew Garfield is fucking great. Yeah, he's good. I mean, I granted, I haven't seen him in very much, but everything that I've seen him in, he's been really good, and I thought he was great in The Social Network. Um, I mean, s- some of the stuff, uh, I-, I don't know. It's like, I'm not that interested in the life of Mark Zuckerberg and, um, you know, the other people that were kind of involved in this movie, but, you know... I think it's really well done. Um, Gone Girl, again, like, my big problem with Gone Girl is the characters as they're written. I mean, Gillian Flynn, who wrote the novel, she also wrote the screenplay, so I guess this is still how she saw her characters. But I don't know. Like, the the story itself is just really kind of... just doesn't do it for me. Especially, like, there's a scene where uh, uh, Rosamund Pike who I, I I don't think much of Rosamund Pike as an actress. I mean, I think she's fine. She's in your favorite the, Edgar Wright film. Yeah, but she's still a small part of that Edgar Wright film. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, I mean, even in that one, I think like she's giving, she's giving a more authentic performance than she's giving here. Cause like granted, you know, the character Amy is like a pure psycho. But, like, the way she does, like, the southern accents and all, it's like, nah, this is this is just not, this is just not for me. I but, don't uh, know. Yeah, I remember the second time around not, not loving it. I didn't mm. dislike it, but it's just definitely one of his weaker films. Yeah, I mean, it's only a three for me, but that's still, you know, that's decent, I would say. Um... And then Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I enjoyed quite a bit. Um, I think it's a little long. And one of the things that I noticed about, like, all of the Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross scores, I feel like they're, they're there and they're decent, but, like, I don't think they're anything to write home about. <laughs> oh, broke the internet. Sorry. Mm. Uh, social network score is amazing. 
Eh, I don't know. I'd, maybe if I listen to the score on its own, maybe I'll feel differently. But I don't know. Within the context of the movies, I don't know. Maybe it's the way Fincher puts them in the movies or whatever. I, I don't. Yeah, know. I mean, I think I think since the Social Network score to me is like a great score, but since then I don't know that they've done anything terribly interesting uh, mm. on any of the films they've worked on, Fincher or otherwise. Right. I mean, yeah, I would say that. Uh, I think Daniel Craig is great. Uh, Rooney Mara's really, really good. Uh, I mean, pretty much everyone in this movie is really good. Uh, again, like I, I don't know. For me, it, it was there. There was just nothing that pushed it into like amazing territory, and yeah, I nothing don't know. that pushed nothing that pushed uh, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo into amazing territory. Yeah, I mean, I still gave it a four, but I is mean, is this your favorite of his films? Well, I'm reserving judgment on that right now because if you ask me right now, I would probably say the game is my favorite. But yeah, underrated. I need to watch. I need to watch it again to see if that if that uh, assessment holds up. For sure, I. I mean, I. Yeah, I, uh, for me, Zodiac is is the one. Uh, currently that I can think of that is mm. his masterpiece in my opinion. But, but, oh, and that's, that's one thing I forgot to say about Mank also. There's a scene in Mank where his brother visits him after he's read the script and he's kind of telling him that uh, the script is, you know, it's dangerous and you it's obvious that you're writing about uh, what's-her-face. It's obvious you're writing about Hearst. Mm. And he's taking the it as criticism. And then um, at the end of the scene... He he's about to get to his car and he looks back at Gary Oldman and he says it's the best thing you've ever written, and then it cuts to Gary Oldman's expression as he as he hears that and he's like kind of shocked to hear him say that and then it fades to black and there's like a music swell and I just I got goosebumps when that happened but I don't but it's only because of its relation to the editing in Zodiac <laughs> that moment is exactly like several moments in Zodiac where that kind of mm. thing happens. There's a button on the end of a scene and then a quick fade to black and a music swell. And it just gives you, like, it's just an immediate, it's almost sort of manipulative, you know, because it's like, <laughs> it's really working on you. But, uh, yeah, I meant to say that earlier. It's got that moment. like it's. But there's nothing, mm. in, you know, Zodiac, in Zodiac, those moments are, like, you know, in extreme because it's, you know, you're learning about who the killer might be or whatever, so. right. But the game is up there. I love the game. Mm. I like Dragon Tattoo also. I like I like all of his films. I don't think there's a, there's a stinker in the bunch. I mean, frankly. I haven't watched Alien Three yet. You haven't watched Alien Three? According to my IMDb, I have. So I think it's watched on Letterboxd. Oh. I have no okay. memory of it. I will. Uh, Whoa! I mean, I'm gonna watch it soon. That's that one. Coming, it's ninety two. So yeah. uh, I'm watching it. Oh, yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> Oh, you're gonna have to watch. I see for your thing. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was saying we, we can't we can't choose it as a deep dive because it's '90s, so we got to stay away from that. Oh, <laughs> I would totally if you if you literally hadn't seen that and you weren't gonna watch it for your other uh, awards thing, I would totally that would be my next deep dive pick for sure. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll probably have a, a brief review of it next time we talk. Now, will you watch the assembly cut or the theatrical cut? I don't know. Um, with some movies, HBO Max has uh, multiple versions, so I'll see what they offer, but it's going to be what's available mm. on HBO Max. I would encourage right. you to watch the, th- 
theatrical cut personally. I think the assembly cut is terrible. Cool. Then I'll try it. That's just mm. me. I mean, that's that's just that's me. more likely the one that is on there. So, right. Mm. But uh, okay. Well, uh, it's uh, Kevin's pick next episode. Yep. Lay it on us, Kevin. All right. So we are going to watch Dead Again. Oh no! Really? Yeah. Directed I literally, by. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No talk. Talk. I'm sorry. Okay. Directed by Kenneth Branagh, starring Kenneth Branagh, Robin Williams, Andy Garcia, Derek Jacoby, Emma Thompson, Hannah Shagula. Yeah. Back to the uh, early '90s goth st- gothic stuff for me. <laughs> That's okay. I I was gonna say that I I bought this movie blind at um, Fye oh. years ago and haven't watched it, and then I sold the DVD recently. <laughs> <laughs> but I believe it's on some streaming services. It's so. on okay. Tubi. So, ads, no, it's got to be on other stuff besides besides Tubi. Come on, I'd rather rent it. I don't. I can't watch it with that. I tried to watch Turbulence with ads, dude. It's brutal. I can't do it. I can't do ads. Mm. I wouldn't do it for. I would do it for something I don't care about watching or something that I'm not gonna be thinking about. I would probably not do it for Dead Again. Have you seen Dead Again? No. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Mm. This is going to yeah. be very exciting. All right, I like Branagh, too. I might, uh, well, I mean, starting in January, I'll be watching Hamlet a lot with Branagh's Hamlet. So <laughs> I might, oh. uh, might try to check it out uh, before the next episode so I can talk about it. But I assume we won't be recording before January anyway. I don't think so. It's also yeah, on probably. CBS All Access. I don't have that. I don't either. Me neither. Oh, although I will say that I, um, just real quick, I, I saw a trailer for a TV show that's going to be on CBS All Access. It's got Michael Chiklis in it, and it's called Coyote, and he's a Border Patrol agent who helps people get across the border, and then, like, the cartels want to kill him. Oh, it looked pretty all right. Like, it looked mm. better than I thought it would, would something like that would be. And I think it's because, I know on CBS All Access, they're allowed to do things they're not allowed to do on network television, like they curse and whatnot. So mm. it's probably be more cinematic, maybe, than uh, your average network trash. <laughs> you know. But uh, that's the show. Visit our website at filmyakpodcast.com. Yeah, hey. Right. You, you heard me right. Filmyakpodcast.com is live. You can go there now and uh, download episodes or listen to them or look at our blog. You won't see any of my witty comments about the trailers that I post because of... Uh, audience weird setup now but i'm working on it working on it um so email us at filmyakpodcast at gmail.com visit our website at filmyakpodcast.com and uh until next time thanks for listening have a good one merry christmas there is a man a certain man and for the poor you may be sure that he'll do all he can who is this one whose favorite son just by his action has the traction magnets on the run. Who likes to smoke, enjoys a joke, and wouldn't get a bit upset if he were really broke. With wealth and fame, he's still the same. I'll bet you five you're not alive if you don't know his name.
you actually see you see the penises? 